0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 2045 podcast. My name is Sofia, and I'm an ambitious teenager working on projects with synthetic biology and recently a little bit of artificial intelligence. I'm not an expert in either of these, but I'm really interested in learning and overall about exponential technologies, the future, startups, entrepreneurship, the world, and more, which is what this podcast is about. Today we have on the show Arian Harshid. He is a 15-year-old innovator, actually activator at the Knowledge Society. He is the founder of LightIR, which is a system to detect cancer cells during surgery. And he is also a very good writer, in my opinion. So we're going to be talking about a lot of things, including patents for bio-entrepreneurship or just inventions that people create, how he got started, his passion behind starting Light IR, and many other things. So I really do hope that you enjoy this episode and that you learn something new. Sometimes I think that especially young people need sometimes these role models, you know, to follow and to gain inspiration from. Sometimes we don't believe in ourselves, in our power to really do big things and to change the world in the long term. This is what this episode is about. Ariane, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome. I guess we can start off by talking about your project. So please tell us, how did LightIR start?
1: Right. So um, LightIR um, is a project that I've been working on for about the past two years now. Uh, and it's a device that I've been developing to enhance cancer surgery so when a surgeon's removing a cancer from the from a patient uh, they can remove the visible parts of let's say a tumor but they can't see the cells that are left behind in a patient and if there's even a single cell left behind in the patient that cancer can come back and cancer coming back after surgery was a huge problem that i saw back when i started uh, my device building it um, and so i created a device that surgeons can use they can uh, hover it over a suspicious area of tissue and my device will be able to detect if there's cancer cells left behind in a patient and hopefully reduce the amount of cancers that come back after treatment.
0: Going a little bit more back in time, how did you start your research and how did you even get interested in this technology?
1: I don't know how far back you want me to go. I don't think I'll start from like by the time I was born. I'll probably start from like... (laughs) Yeah. By the time I was maybe 10 or 11, Um, that was about the time when like a lot of things were happening in my family like health related so there was diabetes going on, cancer going on and so that made me want to understand both those diseases more so like some of my first projects that I did, some of the first things I worked on were well researching um, the causes of diabetes what makes it work Uh, I did some AI in diabetes I did some uh, diagnostics there but overall I realized that Okay, which disease do I want to specifically focus on? And I thought about it a lot and I said, well, both these diseases are really, really uh, huge. They affect a whole bunch of people, but which one is something that I'd want to personally do? And I, I let my curiosity guide me there. And uh, for me, it was cancer that had to be the one because cancer was an extremely complex disease. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know why. And I don't think anyone knew why cancer was so hard to treat, right? We didn't have one specific answer. We had answers for basically every other disease out there and i wanted to know and i think that curiosity kind of got me into the rabbit hole of cancer and then everything just continued from there
0: awesome it sounds like you really have a clear purpose for starting this and for creating this device and also why is it called to light ir
1: right so honestly uh I, I thought of the name Light IR because uh, originally, this device uh, was a spectroscopy device. So like, it emitted light at cancerous tissue, and it analyzed how that light reflect back. Uh, and then it leveraged the fact that cancerous tissue will reflect light slightly differently than healthy tissue, and uh, the probe could detect that at the time. Uh, and the main thing that it used uh, in terms of the light that it emitted was infrared light, so IR light. Um, and it was supposed to be like a whole bunch of double meaning. So, like, light IR was, well, um, light that was, of course, emitted in the IR part of the, the spectrum. So, that's gonna kind of go play on words, light IR. Uh, I also, at the time, really liked the idea that the probe was super light, you could carry it around, right? So, light IR. It, it, it was really <laughs> weird. I created it because of that. Uh, if, if I were to recreate the probe now, the one thing that I'd change, like, I wouldn't change anything, I'd change the name. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll. I was thinking of doing that later, and uh, especially since my probe isn't a spectroscopy probe anymore, I need like it's a microscopy probe. So LIDAR doesn't make much sense. Uh, but I'd really like to know what I was thinking when I named it light IR. I Don't understand, <laughs> right? If you want to, if, yeah. if you want to see what the probe looks like, it looks kind of like this. Oh, over here.
0: Nice. Right. Cool.
1: So I think the, right here. Uh, I think I can uh, connect it to USB later, but it, 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 it also has, like, a light, but it's not IR light, like, it's it's visible white light. Okay. Uh, it's more like a microscope, so you can zoom into your tissue and you can see it.
0: Interesting. And was that kind of built with 3D printing or something?
1: It was more like me uh, getting to manufacturers and, and getting them to, like, build the parts. Like, this is, like, a sample that, that I got uh, from, okay. like, the designs that I sent them. But... Um, in the beginning, Light Era was more like a 3D printed sort of, you know, independent project that was, you know, me, like an Arduino, you know, lots of different CAD models and all of that sort of stuff. But okay. yeah, uh, now I'm transitioning into a point where it can be like a real device that's used in surgery. So I made it uh, more professional.
0: I'm really curious to know how difficult it was to come up or to find the root cause of this problem. You know, cancer cells staying after surgery. Was it in a how moment or was it just like reading about it and seeing like, oh, this makes sense.
1: Right. So, um, the root cause itself isn't very hard to find. Like you can search it up, like, why does cancer come back after surgery? And like the main cause is like, there's cancer cells left behind in the patient. So the one thing that I think was my aha moment was like, well, sure, there's cancer cells left behind in a patient, but how do you find those cancer cells? Like, how do you know they're there? Right? Um, I was researching into it, and the main uh, technique people use today is called pathology lab. So let's say you have, like, a tumor somewhere on your arm, whatever, and then your surgeon takes out the tissue. So, like, ideally, you want to get all of the tumors, so, like, imagine the tumor is a sphere, and then you want to get, like, a layer of healthy tissue around it, right, just to be safe, right? Um, And so pathology labs look at the tissue that you remove and see if, like, uh, there's any, any cancer that's left behind, like any cancer that's touched the edge. And that means there's some neighboring cancer left behind in your tissue. The problem is pathology labs take a really long time. So like they take like two weeks after the surgery to give you your results. Oh. So they're more or less useless because I mean, two weeks after the surgery, the patient's already been closed up. Uh, They're recovering from the surgery. And I mean, you're getting your results on whether there's cancer left behind in the patient, but you're getting them after you can do anything about it. Because if you got the results during the surgery, you could just remove extra tissue during the surgery. It's no big deal, right? But in in the case that I was looking at back then, like the status quo was uh, after you got your surgery, you knew about the diagnosis two weeks later, and then you had to get another surgery again right after you got your first one. It's, it's a waste of many different things on many different dimensions. So time, money, um, health. Uh, the patient already has cancer and going through two surgeries isn't going to be very good on them. right? So a whole bunch of things I saw. right? Um, and I so I realized that, again, the root cause of well, the issue here was pathology labs are too slow. We needed a faster way to detect cancer. Uh, and I wanted to figure out how to turn that into a device, and put it into the hands of a surgeon. They don't even need a pathology lab in the equation. So I was thinking about that, and I was reading, like, the weirdest paper. It was, it was super weird. So it was using spectroscopy to check whether a fruit is ripe or not. It, hmm. Like, it was used for, like, inspection on, like, a farm, to see, like, if certain apples on trees were ripe or overripe or not ripe. And you could tell that non-invasively without, like, uh, you know, actually opening the apple up, just, like, looking at the skin of it, reflecting light off of it and seeing if it was ripe or not. And like some statistics up there, like this, uh, the sensor that we use to check the ripeness of the fruits can detect uh, 0.001% variations in ripeness in the apple and it costs less than like 30 bucks to make. It's like, whoa, wait, so why is, why are they wasting such an awesome technique on you know, Hmm. checking if fruits are right, right? So I was like, I didn't really have any proof behind why, whether Light IR could work or not. I was like, if you can use it for something so trivial, but yet it's so precise, why not use it where precision is really necessary and you can do this in real time? And why not use it in cancer, right? I didn't know if it could work, but it it ended up working. Uh, And so so I ran with it and I was lucky enough that it worked. It didn't work on the first time, of course, but uh, it, Mm -hmm. it ended up working, which is great.
0: Interesting. I love the fact that you were looking at a completely different technology and then you saw that connection. It's really amazing. Now, onto the actual process of creating this device. I would like to know how the process was you know, going from reading a paper to coming up with an idea to doing more research, developing that idea, then creating the device itself. And I don't know, maybe what you're thinking for the future.
1: Right. Um, So I was looking at how I could do this, right? So I knew spectroscopy was the way, right, to like detect cancer cells. Uh, Now the question was how I could actually like turn it into a device, right? It's one thing to think about something. Like I didn't want to like say, oh, right, I had this idea, but I didn't end up doing it and somebody else did it. That would be, that would kind of suck, right? So I basically um, thought of ways I could, you know, get this down to like a reasonably priced cost, um, you know, many different factors that you would need to be in a hospital so like it needs to be small enough to hold in your hand that was an issue right because the spectroscopy sensor for fruits it was like this big oh right right so you need to get it down to like a size you can hold in your hand that's that's one problem uh get it down to a low cost do all those things so like it wasn't like I, i wasn't really home free after i realized the method so i had to like do a lot of like research into how i could make this better eventually i found like a spectroscopy sensor for like 50, 60 bucks, bought it, um, you know, wired it up. Um, I, I got like a maker space on board. So it's like a, a place where you can, you have all these electronics and like <laughs> people to advise you. Awesome. Uh, they helped me uh, quite a bit. So we, we built like a prototype of the probe. I think it was near Christmas. Uh, the Probe actually ended up working for the first time. Like, I think we spent like three months trying to get the circuit to work, which was crazy. Right? And we spent two, three, three months trying to do that. And then like the probe lit up, which is great. Uh, and then, essentially, the next step was getting it tested on well, the closest thing we could get it tested on, which was cells. So, like, I got a lab on board. Uh, that also took quite a lot of effort. I emailed a bunch of people for that. Uh, one lab in a university in Ottawa, so Carleton University, they accepted. Uh, I worked under, like, a professor for two or three days, uh, gathered a whole bunch of data, right, with the probe. Uh, with cancer cells and healthy cells, and I, I wanted to know if, like, let's say, I took all this data and I trained an AI on it, would it be able to achieve a high accuracy? So would the AI be able to tell the difference between cancer cells and healthy cells? And then, yeah, it ended up being able to do that, which is great, right? So it got like a ninety-nine something percent accuracy. I don't, I don't exactly remember what it was, but that that was a pretty cool moment. Uh, and then after that, so like it's now, so I've refined my device to to a much better point. And, um, yeah, um, I'm working on doing human trials right now.
0: So we now know that the product doesn't only need to work, but it also needs to be feasible and maybe even think about the costs. I find that interesting. So what have been some of the changes that you've been making to your product and maybe ones that you're thinking to make in the future?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, So I knew, like, in the back of my head that, like, the first version of the device was going to be absolutely horrible. Uh, so it was going to be like, it, it was, it was about this big, right? And it was like, um, 3D printed, like plastic. It, it was bad. Okay. It didn't look very good. I didn't have any good 3D like design skills at the time. So it was literally just a big rectangle. Okay. Okay. And that's what it looked like. And I was like, okay, I, well, this is what I've got to work with. Right. And so that that's what I worked with. Um, I started there. It was big. Uh, slowly, we like reduced the size of like the sensors and you know, all the wiring, and we condensed it down to a device you could hold. Uh, that was also really fun. Uh, after we did that, it was basically just a matter of well, testing this and seeing if it worked. Like uh, I tested it on small scales. Slowly, I had to go into bigger and bigger scales. Like it's it's a cool dichotomy there. You turn the device smaller and smaller, you test on a larger and larger sample size, and eventually see like could this device work in a range of conditions, right? Like all these different things. Um, as I went on, I realized that spectroscopy didn't really work too well, because like, I, I tested this on like maybe 10 cells to begin with, and I got a 99% accuracy. Then when I tested it on like a lot more cells, the accuracy kind of dropped, all right? So I was like, okay, this, this might not be the right method. So I switched over to microscopy. Uh, there were a whole bunch of like ups and downs as, as I went, right? Like. When I first you know got the spectroscopy thing working it was like great like this is awesome right it's been like a lot of work and we actually got somewhere and then I was like okay wow it even works in cells which is great I didn't expect that you know great surprise uh, but um, then I realized well this doesn't work anymore <laughs> and then you have to go again right and you have to keep okay. going it's, it happens all the time
0: yeah have to make it reproducible yeah. Okay. And now looking into the future, what do you think are the next steps for a Light IR? How do you plan to commercialize this product, bring it into the market, or do more research to make it better?
1: Yeah, so that's something I'm considering uh, right now. So like I have thought I've had like a basic idea about it to like an extent when I was doing this. And, I, and I, of course I had to, because i um, like, I needed to have a plan of like, okay, after I get this device approved, if that happens, uh, I shouldn't be asking myself, so what? Then I, I can't just sit around and, you know, do nothing. So, like, I thought about it, made, made like, a game plan, which was, like, get your device approved. Uh, it'll be great if you could even have everything prepared, like marketing materials, all that, while you're developing it, so you can't really waste any time after that. And then as soon as you get your device approved, right, like, you've been waiting for five years, you might as well like, release immediately. So I've been I've been planning all those different things. Uh, I've thought about, like, the ideal person that I need to be uh, giving this device to so like a surgeon uh thinking of a customer persona so like who is the exact surgeon that i'm marketing marketing this device to which is a really useful technique like you need to have a specific type of person in mind like very specific like this is a 35 year old surgeon who's single uh who has wow. <laughs> uh, a, a strong belief in christianity and like you need to get everything you need to get everything down right because you need to know your customer inside and out. That, that's something i didn't know lots of things i learned along the way with lots of like uh, people that were great in their fields, because that's how I learned. Right? I reached out to people who were, who were, you know, good in business, you know, good in science. I slowly took some information from that, and like I got through all those different things. And uh, eventually, it's just you know, getting hospitals on board, all that sort of stuff. Um, those are things to keep in mind. But the focus right now is building the device.
0: For sure. It looks like you're doing, like, a lot of work uh, yourself. Not only the research aspect, but the building and the testing and the marketing. So, do you have any other people in the team, probably?
1: Um, Where's So, I, I have people, like, so supporting, like, the initiative right now. But, like, what I want to do and what I've done on the recommendation of a lot of other people who are, like, uh, who want the best for Light AR, they're just, like, uh, stay as lean as you can. So lean in terms of business means like, don't really uh, hire more people than you need to, don't spend more than you need to. So like do things as lean as you can for as long as you can. So like they told me to go solo for as long as I could until maybe even I built the device. And then after approval, because I think I can get from here to approval more or less on my own, right? And then after that, um, getting a sales team, doing all of that, that's where I don't think I'll be able to do it on my own. And, I'll probably need to get some people on the table. For sure. But I do have professors and all that.
0: What about the patent aspect of it, the intellectual property? Have you already thought about that? Maybe have a patent for your device?
1: Right, so I have a patent in the United States. It's a provisional patent. So provisional patent is like one year coverage and it's not like, you don't have to go super in depth about your device, so it's like, a, like maybe five page report on your device. Um, it gives you a year of protection, wasn't too hard to fill out. I I think honestly, like anyone can do it. If they spend maybe like a couple hours working on it and then you just do it, you get a letter in the mail saying, okay, great. Your patent's accepted. Next step from there is getting a non-provisional patent, which is really, what's going to be like a moat for the business. So, uh, of course, like if you look at any software company, um, there's really nothing stopping like somebody from copying Facebook. Uh, I mean you can you can do it right you can't really patent software but the thing about like uh, hard tech is that you can right it's the only thing that's like it's guarding you from like other people just like stealing on the idea that you spent like five or six years trying to develop right so I, I, I filed for a patent uh, Uh, got accepted next steps are to get into non-provisional patent, which is like 20 years of production all right it's a really really in-depth report i don't even think i have enough information to write about there so like this is probably for later when i get like further down in building the device but yeah that that's in the works for the future uh i'll maybe even get a patent for canada soon
0: wow it really seems like you have a clear and long-term vision for this i wouldn't say it's a project, you know, because you're already committed to it. So my question now is, what do you think about that? What do you think about being committed to something for the long term? Or how do you do it yourself?
1: Yeah, so I think having long term visions is great. But I think that like what you do in the moment is, I think, if equally or if not more important than what you do in the long term. And I think the reason behind that is... Like if there's one thing I've learned from like the entire two year journey, three year journey that I've had as well, any long term plans that you have, there's a good chance that they won't be correct because many things change. You change, the world around you changes, your mind changes. And in the end, like the most you can ever hope to be right on is maybe like a low resolution. Plan. So like for me, uh, you might have heard me say, I want to create a cancer vaccine. I don't know when I'm going to create it or how I'm going to create it. But, like, that's my goal sometime down in the future. And I think that, you know, any plan you have, like, things usually end up, like, swerving away uh, from that. Uh, because, you know, life happens, things things change, right? Um, but I, I think it's still good to have a plan. It's good to, like, dream about what will happen in the future. It's like okay. it's, it's something that will motivate you later. But I think taking your long-term goal and, like, breaking it down into small steps and then doing those steps as you go and, like, worrying about, like, the later things later, I think, I think that's that's a better way to go about things because like a cancer vaccine, I don't think I could do that right now. And I think light maybe after, you know, something good comes out of light um and I distribute it to a whole bunch of people, maybe I'll have, you know, the expertise, the confidence and all of that to, to start, you know, working on a cancer vaccine.
0: Right. And I think that this also requires some patience as well as passion for what you're doing, if you're just interested in it, then you'll probably not get through the challenges that this would represent. But as you were uh, mentioning before, when you are committed to something, then you you can get through the tough times as well. And this kind of brings me to the idea of working in academia versus working on the entrepreneurship world. So I think that, mm, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that you're more maybe biased towards the business side of this or the entrepreneurship side of this. So tell us what your uh, thoughts on this are. Why why not academia and why business instead? All right.
1: So the thing about academia and business, I think you I think you need both of them. Right. Like you can't really have business without any new technology, and you can't have you know you can't have either one without the other. And I think that like. People who are going to do well in the future are going to have at least some mix of that, right? Like, even if you're like heavily biased towards business, uh, it's great to have at least a little bit of knowledge about the product you're selling or the technology that you're building, right? I think it's going to be a combination of that that you know creates a whole bunch of new opportunities for the world in the future.
0: Arian, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. I think that the knowledge here is very valuable, despite being one of the shortest episodes. It's also one of the most interesting ones, a really interesting invention with a really interesting innovator telling us about incredible things. So I'm sure we'll continue to hear more things about you, and hopefully we can have you another time on the show.
1: Well, I hope you see me around. (laughs)
0: And for you who are listening to this episode, thank you so much for choosing to learn about innovation, entrepreneurship, the world, the future, and more. Don't forget that we have an Instagram and a Twitter account at 2045podcast, so you can follow us there, and that we have more or less two episodes a month. So stay tuned, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.